Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Thriller Crypto. Today, we're talking Coinbase acquiring Zappo. We got CoinMine scoring another $2.5 million. We got some new malware miners to be on the lookout for. And then finally, in the main topic, we're discussing decentralized MetaMask. That's right. The whole browser is fucking phenomenal. We got to talk about it. Thriller Crypto, starting now. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Thriller Crypto. Today is August 15th. Nope, August 16th, 2019. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you. First up, the news. That's right. So we've got crypto exchange Coinbase acquiring Zapple institutional custody business. Yeah, this has hit the airwaves. So Coinbase said an announcement on Thursday that the deal will help expand its custody business and will increase its assets under custody to be more than $7 billion. According to Fortune report on Thursday, Coinbase acquired Zappos institutional business for $55 million after beating another strong contender. That's right, the investment giant Fidelity. Sam Mickenval, CEO of Coinbase Custody, indicated that in the report that the exchange could look into crypto lending business in the future. He said, fundamentally, we have to help our investors earn a return on their assets. You can imagine lending out Bitcoin, but also earning interest on that. Mickenval was quoted as saying that the launch of Zappo in 2013 is known for its wallet services, including physical vaults stationed in Switzerland, that are used to store customers' crypto assets in an offline environment to ensure the safety of private keys. Fortune's report also added that with this deal, most of Zappo's biggest clients have already decided to move their crypto assets to Coinbase, that's right, which will now store more than 514,000 Bitcoin for Zappo's customers, worth about, cha-ching, $5.3 billion at its current price. In May this year, Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong said that Coinbase custody had just crossed $1 billion in assets under management at the time with 70 institutions. Next up, we have malware miner sneakily hides within your task manager when it is open. That's right. Meet Norman, a new variant of Monero mining malware that employs crafty tricks to avoid being spotted. The malicious code was identified by researchers at data security firm Veronis when investigating a crypto miner infestation at a mid-sized company. Almost every server and workstation was infected with malware. Most were generic variants of crypto miners. Some were password dumping tools. Some were hidden PHP shells. And some had been present for several years. However, one miner stood out. That's right. The team dubbed it Norman. Norman's payload has two primary functions. Execute its XMR ring based crypto miner and avoid detection. After injection, it overwrites its entry and explorer.exe to conceal evidence of its presence. It also stops operating the miner when the PC's users opens task manager, re-injecting itself once task manager is not running. The miner element of the malware is based on the openly available XMIG code hosted on GitHub. However, Varian has found that its Monero address is blocked by the mining pool it links to and hence is effectively disabled. Researchers further found a PHP shell possibly linked to Norman that continually connects to a command and control server. Web shells can allow remote access to a system on which they are installed. However, the team found that when they ran the code, it entered a loop awaiting commands and none had been received at the time of writing. The report also notes that Norman may have been created in France or a French-speaking nation. The SFX file had comments in French which indicate that the author used a French version of Renoir to create the file. Next up, CoinMine scores $2.5 million in a seed round. That's right. Led by Los Angeles-based M13 Ventures, Republic Labs, Dummy Crypto, and early Uber investor Shervin Pichar, contributed funding according to a statement made August 15th. 
The company plans to hire engineers with the capital. This team will build new features and expand the option to mine more cryptocurrencies for the hobbyist level miner. This latest round of financing will accelerate their mission to getting more people to experience how easy it is to earn Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. The machine is operable from Android or iOS mobile apps and updates over the air automatically. And in our last piece of news, Dallas Mavericks have accepted Bitcoin as payment. That's right. According to Mark Cuban in a recent press release on Tuesday, the team is allowing fans to purchase tickets and merchandise online through a partnership with cryptocurrency payments processing firm BitPay. This move makes the Mavs the second team in the NBA to accept Bitcoin. In 2014, the Sacramento Kings actually became the first. Mark Cuban said that we want our fans who would like to pay with Bitcoin to have the opportunity to do so. BitPay allows our global fans to seamlessly make purchases with the Mavs. And of course, this is not Cuban's first foray into cryptocurrencies. In 2017, the American businessman backed one confirmation, a venture capital firm dedicated to investing in crypto-related startups and projects. But back then, Cuban told CNBC that cryptocurrencies is an interesting space. That's right. Pretty slow news day, but we had an exceptional Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday full of negative news, so <laughs> I guess that's pretty good. Let's jump into interesting video of the day. Thriller podcast. Interesting crypto video of the day. All right. Time for interesting video of the day. You know, one of the interesting uh, things that we covered this week was the whole Bitcoin and the next recession. We released that on our Thriller Crypto subscription, and it's free if you sign up with the newsletter. But um, it was very alarming to do the research on that and kind of scary to think about what could happen. But if there's one person that has the um, the nose for sniffing out the information before it gets leaked, it's uh, Ray Dalio. And he talks about this three years ago and kind of predicts this whole situation we're currently in now. Well, let me just take a second and just review the model so everybody knows. Um, so I'm saying that um, over a period of time, productivity matters the most. What you earn is what you can get to spend. But around that, there are two debt cycles. There's a short-term debt cycle that lets you spend more than you earn over a short period of time, but when you pay back, you have to spend less. And that, there's that cycle, the five to eight year cycle, is the business cycle. We're used to that. Everybody understands that. And then there's a long-term debt cycle that um, goes on 50, 75 years, and um, it goes through its limitations. When you have too much debt relative to income, so you can't service it anymore, and when interest rates go to zero, so there can't be stimulation, we have run out of monetary policy, number one, <clears throat> and we have to go to monetary policy number two. Monetary policy number two is quantitative easing. This happened in the Great Depression happened recently and that means the purchase of financial assets by the central bank and the sellers of those financial assets then buy other financial assets and they cause those other financial assets to rise in price and have the effect of lowering returns. those expected returns and when those other expected returns are low in relationship to cash one is almost indifferent and so when you buy that bond when the fed makes puts that money in the system that person is going to then go not it's indifferent and that that's called pushing on a string and pushing on a string began in 1935 and we're going into a situation which is generally worldwide somewhat analogous to that so if we're I, there again we're approaching it so if i just take country by country now if i could give you um a world tour a okay. world tour let's do that quickly okay um so Japan was there first. For a couple of decades. For a couple of decades, pushing on a string, because they hit interest rates uh, right. at zero. And Stock now they've embarked on the most aggressive quantitative easing program the world has ever seen. And, and they're trying to stimulate to get 2% inflation, and they're going nowhere. It's not working. And it's not working. So what's Europe the is there. Okay. Okay. Europe, if you look at the, um, across the curve, we have interest rates at zero or slightly negative depending on where, mm -hmm. okay? That, so interest rates is certainly not going to work. And then the purchases of those financial assets are getting transmitted and currency movements and the like, and the effect of raising those assets is not 
is very limited. So we're there in Europe, very close to being there in Europe. In the United States, we have a little bit more room. We're very close to zero interest rates. And then if you take the spreads, the spreads are, are relatively low. So a little less than a 2% bond yield. We think equities expected returns probably are around 4%. So there's some spread there, some ability. The issue is if that creates asymmetric risks. Mm -hmm. To the downside. To the downside, meaning um, it's, tightening is always going to be effective. You, it's easy. You raise interest rates and things will slow down because everybody's got a lot of debt. Not a problem. The situation is the risk on the downside, because if you have a movement on the downside, it's a risky situation. So we're going to have to see, um, and you'll see increased exploration, of the movement to make, to, to make other forms of stimulation, which I'm calling Monetary Policy 3. Monetary Policy 3 will not be just through quantitative easing. Quantitative easing by Assets, financial assets right. from people who have it and it stays in the financial community. We're going to have to move toward, increasingly, the making of uh, purchases that put money directly in the hands of spenders. Because the linkage between having money in the financial assets and having spending is becoming weaker and weaker. Can I just pause for a moment? Sure. So what you're effectively saying to me is that Monetary policy one interest rates has sort of run its course. It's become ineffective. Monetary policy two quantitative easing, if I take you correctly, ineffective. Central banks are now going to have to print money and hand it to consumers? In one fashion or in another, um, they're going to have to go more directly to spenders. How, how does that work? Well, it can work in um, either a combination of fiscal and monetary policy. Some, there's a continuum of how it's worked in history. In some cases, you can have the federal government um, run deficits, which the central, the central bank essentially monetizes mm -hmm. by lending them money, and that, that's one path. Some, and then on, there's a continuum. And on that continuum, the far side of that continuum is called helicopter money. Mm -hmm. uh, what helicopter money uh, means um, is the process of essentially pu putting it directly in your hands. The central bank has the capacity legally to essentially get money in your hands. There's a legal, in, the laws change from place okay. to place, to put it directly in your hands to have you spend it. In other words, to not bypass, to bypass the financial markets to do that. So there's a range of ways that that can be done. History is, is loaded with them. We're just not acquainted with them because they haven't happened in our lifetimes before. I see. In other words, these long-term debt cycles come once a lifetime, and people once are not... Once a century, even. Once a century, even. So they're rare. And, and, but, but if you go back over history and you see them, they've happened many times. So let's look a little more short-term, because that's going to take some time to play out, I take it and, and it, and examine what's going to happen in the next little while. Good. Um, you have been saying for some time that you anticipate the Fed's going to have to ease again and possibly even embark on a new round of quantitative easing. That the next big move, there'll be minor moves, like you may get another 25 basis point move, but the next big... Up, you mean? Yeah, you could, up. We, you, so you, Fed, you could... Up. You could see another 25 basis point rise in rates. I'm not saying that you couldn't see. I just want to be clear. Yeah. The next big move, I believe, will have to be toward quantitative easing rather than a big tightening. You, you, you won't see a big tightening. So the next move we, we, could be up, could be down. Yeah, the tick. Yeah, you could get an uptick. The next as early as a couple of weeks from now? I don't think... I think that they'd be a serious, I've always said, and I continue to say, I think it would be a serious mistake. I think that the Federal Reserve has come around to the notion that the, we're living in a world economy and that the circumstances that are now happening are surprising them, have surprised mm -hmm. them, because they're not paying enough attention to the long-term debt cycle. In other words, what is, there's a reason that their attitudes have changed. Okay. And I'm, I think it's great that their attitudes have changed about that risk. But you, if you look at the, around the world, our risk is not inflation and our risk is not overheating economies. And one of the interesting things that came out last week was that the Federal Reserve announced that they were going to do something called FedNow, which, if you think about it, is kind of interesting because it's a new round-the-clock real-time payment and settlement service. And uh, they hopefully want to implement this here in the next two to three years but it would be available 24 7, 365 days a year. 
And so a lot of people are kind of wondering, is this all kind of correlated with what we see out there in the political space with uh, universal basic income? And does this mean that we're going to get more private alternatives, hopefully? And where does this leave cryptocurrency? And just to kind of set everybody's mind at ease, I'm beginning to wonder that maybe the UF TC and maybe the entire Federal Reserve looks at cryptocurrency as a way of either parlaying this new reserve coin in or possibly even competing with it on a world scale or maybe dialing it back and using it for tradable digital assets that can be swapped over. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how this kind of non-uniform currency like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other hard assets like that kind of exist, you know, with how the United States will implement this FedNow payment system. But if one thing's for certain, it's definitely we're, we're definitely headed towards a digital payment solution of some sort globally, worldwide. And it's one thing that we should definitely keep an eye out for, but... With that, let's go ahead and jump into Coin Talk. That's right, this is where we talk about everything coinage. Let's do it. Starting now. Boys and girls, it's time for Coin Talk, baby. <laughs> but before we jump into that, just got a couple things I want to mention. So the audiobook that we're putting together on Bitcoin is, is still a work in progress. Turns out uh, it's actually a lot harder <laughs> than it sounds. Uh, I have had the framework available uh, already, so it, it's it's all structurally sound. <laughs> the foundation is set. Now it's just about uh, kind of doing the uh, voiceovers on it and then actually kind of just recording the actual scripts, right? So that'll take some time. I think hopefully I'm going to work on it more this weekend. So hopefully like in another week or two, we'll have that out. Um, if you want to get access to that um, audiobook when we release it, head over to thrillercrypto.subsec.com and sign up for our newsletter. We actually released uh, a free episode yesterday and it was on Bitcoin in the next recession. And it was kind of one of those where it's just really alarming to, to think about how the world will change and how cryptocurrency as an industry as we know it is something that we're probably not even ready for. I was looking at the, a lot of the Reddit boards and Twitter boards and just kind of understanding what the overall, you know, kind of, you know, noise was for Bitcoin and the recession. Not really a lot of talk about it that, that I could tell. A lot of jokes, a lot of memes being made, but not a lot of serious discussion around it. And I think uh, one of the reasons I wanted to create that episode yesterday was just to get the discussion about, you know, exchanges, miners, and how exactly do we tackle situations that could lead us to you know, just overall turmoil for the space and something that I want to get on the public's uh, mind, right? Um, so head over to our, our website, thrillerx.com, and uh, sign up for that newsletter. Take a listen to it. Leave a comment. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm um, um, being paranoid. Um, but uh, let's start the discussion and kind of see exactly what maybe either I'm missing or what maybe that you can add to it. I think ultimately, you know, great discussion and, and great disagreements lead to new and uh, thought provoking, you know, ideas and can lead to even further progress for the human race. At least that's how I always, you know, looked at disagreements. You know, it's not so much about being right. It's, it's more about just kind of seeing what the feel right situation is for any given um idea right and how how we can best implement that and how does it satisfy everybody right and then also want to mention decentralized so we're doing this kind of new series on you know like today's topic men of asking we're gonna start doing more of this kind of stuff where we dive into these applications because i think we're at a point now where we can start doing this and it's pretty cool but before we do any of that you gotta do something that's right roll the disclaimer remember thriller's podcast does not give financial advice he cannot tell the future even if he thinks he can he is just some dude 
for coin talk my favorite part of the day your favorite part of the day i'm sure we got a coin market cap of 263 billion dollars that's right we're up three billion from yesterday we got a bitcoin dominance at 6.5 percent and we got bitcoin priced at ten thousand eighty one dollars down or actually up one percent got ethereum at 183 dollars up 0.10 percent got xrp down to 26 cents bitcoin cash at 309 dollars litecoin at $74. Um, I think some of the, the changes here, I think the only thing that I've seen that's gone up considerably is 0x. That's up 8% today. Um, not a big change. And some of the things that keep bleeding is Algorand at 69 cents, down 5%. Uh, Cardano also is bleeding too at uh, 4 cents. But I... I I kind of wanted to do this coin talk literally just talking about two main cryptocurrencies for right now, and that's Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, I haven't done this for a while, but, you know, I think I've talked about this before on on other on other shows. But uh, at this point, I feel like Bitcoin for me it has become, you know, something that I'm holding on to long term, more like a just a hedge right on what's going on out there. In the regular global monetary system, I feel like having some Bitcoin, you know, stored away and just keep adding to that is just good sound approach to, you know, investing. Right. And when I look at Ethereum, I, I, I really come to realize that this is the next big commodity of what could potentially be the world, if not, you know, the financial future lifeblood. Um, there's this whole kind of kick and kind of jokes and memes going on about DeFi and about how we're going to decentralize finance, but we're probably not there yet, right? But when you have applications like MetaMask and another another DApps and, and different foundational layers that are being built out right now, you really start seeing exactly where this is all headed. And I think if this trajectory keeps going in that direction, and if you keep having some really talented individuals out there um, building out this infrastructure and not 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 really moving away like they're this they started on a lot of these different projects for this DeFi movement that's happening and that happened maybe about three years ago and so what's happening now is a lot of this stuff is getting rolled out metamask mobile is one and you were starting to see what this whole, you know, new future is going to look like, this paradigm shift that everybody keeps talking about. Ultimately, Ethereum is going to be the, um, for lack of a better word, the oil that kind of molds this uh, technology together, right? And if data becomes this new commodity for the future, well, Ethereum is going to be, I really think it's going to be a significant um portion of what this whole framework will exist upon and that's not to say other projects won't win that's not to say that you know other projects can't compete i think they will compete i think i think they should compete i think we need more of them to keep ethereum honest and keep it moving in direction just like the same way ethereum keeps bitcoin honest and gets them to implement better right a la blockstream right doing a lot more than they probably should have in in years past but uh, it gets them to create, it gets them to innovate, and it gets them to be more productive. And competition is good, brings out the best in teams and individuals as a whole. But ultimately, I think, I think right now what I'm doing with Ethereum is accumulating a lot of it, not to you know, start my own you know, you know, proof of stake node or anything like that. No, it's, it's more of a, um, as an investment in what this, whole financial system will, will look like and uh seeing it at the prices today when i saw it dip under 200 dollars, you know i kind of got excited <laughs> uh I'm, I'm not one of those people that shies away from a red market yesterday bitcoin went down i bought some more bitcoin when i saw ethereum go down significantly today i bought some more ethereum i i, I just don't 
shy away from really, uh, really, really good prices. And one of the main reasons for this is, you know, when Bitcoin was, you know, underneath three thousand dollars and Bitcoin and Ethereum was at around seventy nine dollars last year. It was one of those things where I just bought as much as I could because it was just a no brainer approach. And right now, with all of the um, economic, um, you know, strifes that we're kind of going through right now as a whole, as, as a worldwide human race, right? It it it, it seems like these next com- big commodities like Ethereum and Bitcoin are going to be major players going forward. And if there's one thing I know for certain is there is a lot of money, there's a lot of time, there's a lot of people, there's a significant amount of work that has been put in to make Ethereum as big as it can be. I'm not saying it's too big to fail. I think that's a wrong term. But to, but to say that they're not trying their hardest to make that thing work is uh, would be an understatement. Um, so th- this is this is something that I, I think is, uh, is needed in the space. And I think that over time, hopefully, it'll become something bigger. And I know I probably sound like the biggest Ethereum shim shill right now, um, but uh, I feel the same way about Bitcoin. And I don't, I don't, I feel totally confident and comfortable, you know, going back between a lot of different cryptocurrencies. I think they have a tremendous amount of value. To say that there's, you know, more than twenty, I would say that actually have providing value or trying to provide some kind of value um, that would be up in the air. But to say there's five to ten, seven solid projects out there, I would say most definitely 100 percent. And I can give you all those now, but we'll save that for a different coin talk. Um, but yeah, right now, thoroughly running through everything and just just buying more Ethereum at this point. If I keep seeing Ethereum under $200, to me, that's just a buy every time. Uh, same thing with Bitcoin. I, I've, I've already set aside you know, significant amount every month to keep purchasing Bitcoin. I, I don't see that stopping anytime soon. Um, I think Bitcoin is here to stay, and I think Ethereum is here to stay too as well. But um, I don't know. We'll see. Okay, I think that's all I got for Coin Talk. I'm not expecting much this weekend. Uh, we have we have a Web three next week. That's going to be a big proponent to seeing a lot of, um, you know, the the alts move as they would say. Um, but uh, that is something that I'm looking forward to covering next week in the news and in the show and um, just diving into it. Maybe one day I, I'll actually get to attend. But uh, for now, it's just going to be <laughs> live streams and um, and information and, and tweeting and stuff like that. But it's in Berlin, Germany. So, you know, you lucky people who get to go over there. That's pretty cool. Hopefully next year. OK, with that, let's get on to our main topic. Starting now.
and cryptography and peer-to-peer -peer decentralized technologies are now enabling people to communicate without censorship. Open, neutral, borderless, decentralized, decentralized, decentralized. to visit the distributed web of tomorrow. It allows you to run Ethereum dApps right in your browser without running a full Ethereum node. MetaMask includes a secure identity vault, providing a user interface to manage your identities on different sites and sign blockchain transactions. Ethereum is a decentralized distributed computational network and MetaMask unleashes the full capability of it. Uh, hi, uh, my name is Aaron, goodbye Kumavis. Uh, I've been working on uh, MetaMask for the past year. I recently joined Consensus, and uh, we're trying to bring Ethereum to everyone, get it in the hands of every single person on the planet as soon as possible. If you're, if you're familiar with Bitcoin, you, you're, you know how you need to send transactions out to the network to, to make a change. But these, the, the sort of state of the system is quite simple in Bitcoin. It's just, um, it's effectively how much Bitcoin do you have access to. Um, the, you know, the implementation details are not really important, but it's just, you have this number, I have this number, and that number changes. In, in Ethereum describes a much more uh, complex, arbitrarily complex state. So if I can make something like a name registry and you can start writing names to my registry, you can um, do things like that. You can, um, it can be a sort of market where you can have order books and things like this. You can have, my, my friend is working on a project called Boardroom that runs an entire organization on the blockchain and you have proposals and votes and you know board members and Recursively, you can have subcommittees and do all this crazy complex stuff. Um, so the point is that the the state that's stored on the blockchain is more complex, and therefore, when you try to make when you propose changes to the state, you need uh, a more semantic way. You need a better way of exposing that data to the user, and a better way of uh, suggesting 
or allowing the user to make changes to that data. Because displaying just a balance is, is fairly simple. You can do that in a, a very easy text-based format. But uh, if you want to uh, describe proposals and, and votes and standing uh, uh, these sorts of things, it's, it's much more complex. And you need these complex uh, visuals. This is a serious adoption issue, uh, and, and to, to tackle this, um, I started MetaMask. MetaMask is a, a set of tools um, to, just to make this easier and, and to, make, uh, to help you access the Ethereum internet from your normal web browser. Uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes I describe Ethereum as a, a sort of a new neighborhood on the internet, and similarly to the internet you're familiar with, we, we make web apps and we make these these uh, points of interaction uh, that talk to other agents on the internet. And in the case of the DAP, uh, what would be traditionally the server in your client server model of a, of a web, website like Facebook or whatever, um, we uh, use in place of the server uh, an agent on the, on the blockchain. And uh, we can use this as uh, for small storage for important things like uh, identity and reputation and things like this. Um, and so the, there's basically two new elements to, to adapt, and that is, one, all transactions are signed. Unlike on a traditional web page, you don't have a username and login. Instead, we have unified identity across the whole Ethereum network, and, and uh, all your actions are cryptographically signed as opposed to starting a session, authenticating a session, and then interacting during that session, like you do in the traditional internet. Um, the other thing is access to the blockchain data. Uh, in, in a normal situation like, like Facebook, all, your, all the data you just get from Facebook, and that's, that's your only option. That's, so uh, you know, Facebook has the power to, to censor and, and do whatever they like, really. Um, in, in the case of the Ethereum internet, you have uh, all, these, all these peers holding the data, and you can, you can pull it from anyone you want. Um, and so to run a dApp, you need access to this, this key management system, so you can sign your transactions, sign your interactions with the internet, and you need, uh, you need access to the data to begin with. And, and so... Um, Similarly to with Bitcoin, you would have a wallet application. Uh, the Ethereum uh, core developers have uh, produced a project called Mist, which is a sort of web browser and wallet combined. It, it manages your keys. You can sign and send either, but you can also do more complex interactions with the, with the network, um, much like interacting with the social network, uh, betting in a prediction market, uh, what have you. Um, the plan is we didn't want to you know, reinvent the way uh, someone builds apps, someone builds interactive tools. Um, so we, we chose the web standard. And the, the spec for a, a DAP, like a front end, is, is simply that you have the normal browser environment with the JavaScript. You have your HTML and your CSS. And, and just in the JavaScript environment, you have an, an extra little... Um, uh, object you can interact with, and that is for talking to the blockchain, both reading from the blockchain and suggesting transactions for the user to make. MetaMask is a browser extension that allows web applications to interact with the Ethereum blockchain. For users, it works as an Ethereum wallet, allowing them to store and send any standard Ethereum-compatible token. For developers, it allows you to design and run Ethereum dApps right into your browser without running a full Ethereum node. MetaMask talks to the Ethereum blockchain from your web application, so you can build fully functional front-end web applications with integrated sign-on, Lambda functions, and storage just by using the Ethereum blockchain as your backend. It's like a public distributed version of AWS or Google Cloud.
So I'm sure some of you are wondering how long does it take to sync a full Ethereum node? Great question. In our experience, it takes anywhere from a couple hours to well over a week to sync a full node from scratch. Ethereum nodes are becoming more resource intensive. A full node uses gigabytes of storage. It uses significant amounts of IOs, so much so that it requires an SSD at the very least. Also, synchronizing state takes a long time due to network issues and having to process every block to reconstruct the state. This and other issues is forcing users to rely on centralized infrastructure. What about light clients, you must be asking? Current light client implementations provide solutions to some of these challenges, but it also introduces its own limitations. Relying on good nodes for most of its data, light clients are leechers in a peer-to-peer -peer network sense. They don't seed any data. <clears throat> they require syncing state before becoming usable. This isn't as resource intensive as syncing a full node, but it's still an important limitation that regular users aren't necessarily willing to bear. Imagine a user having to wait minutes before using her favorite dApp in a time where web page loads are measured in milliseconds. This is not acceptable UX. On top of that, DevP2P relies on UDP and TCP for data transfer and node discovery, which makes it inherently incompatible with the browser. MetaMask is an important part of the ecosystem. It's responsible for helping drive the adoption of Ethereum. Users rely on MetaMask to interact with the Ethereum blockchain, from dApps to tokens to transferring Ether directly. But MetaMask, as well as other similar tools, rely heavily on centralized infrastructure, such as things like Infura and other, other services. This was instrumental for bootstrapping the Ethereum ecosystem. But this breaks the premise of decentralization, and now we need to do better. The problem is building decentralized client that has the same performance characteristics that centralized infrastructure offers. So what are our light client requirements? We need a light client that is fast, ready to use in seconds, seeds its data to other peers so that it's not also relying on centralized infrastructure, has native and has native browser support, of course, because we're MetaMask. MetaMask attracts users from all over the blockchain space. Developers, token traders, first-time dApp users who don't even know what Ethereum is and everything in between. Recently, MetaMask shared some key data points on how exactly it's being used. Over the past two months here in 2019, MetaMask saw 89,000 new wallets created and 53,000 imported wallets. But one trend was noticed. Most users only completed the new wallet onboarding process, which coincides with the challenges that come with getting new users in control of their own private keys. MetaMask has found that thousands of different applications were contributing though to the transactional volume of Ethereum. Over time, MetaMask wants to be much more than just a wallet where users send and receive Ethereum or tokens. It wants to be more. So MetaMask was like originally a browser plugin to let people like iterate on it. Mm -hmm. um, it got great developer success. Mm -hmm. It's been so successful with developers that uh, there's now like 10 projects basically doing the exact same thing. Wow. Um, the Opera browser has integrated an almost identical uh, Ethereum client into their browser. Um, but I think there's still a long way to go. Um, like the, the current state of these um, Ethereum clients mm -hmm. is uh, they're not very scalable. They're very slow. They don't have a way to uh, inherently store your personal uh, information. So I think there's a privacy aspect they lack. Um, and uh, yeah, but beyond those, and then they're not, they're still not as usable as they could be. Mm -hmm. But between those, once we make it a little more usable, a bit more scalable, and we account for uh, yeah, personal privacy. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there's going to be this kind of convergence of opportunities that make 
personal credit, uh, personal crowdfunding, and multi-hop transitive yeah. trust webs, like incredibly efficient and likely, um, yeah, yeah, and yeah, they'll be ripe. They'll be, they're gonna be so ripe. Like, I, I just hope a lot of people approach it. There are uh, projects already kind of working on it. Mm -hmm. So there's a project called Trust Lines uh, on the Ethereum blockchain, which is okay. basically a transitive uh, trust uh, network. So mm -hmm. it's, um, and then there's also a, a project called Circles, which is uses a very similar principle to mm -hmm. extend a, a basic income. Uh, so a continuous issuance of a coin that has a constant value. I, I think that as a software platform, MetaMask is kind of uh, best positioned when it's a general purpose tool. Okay. So, so I think a lot of this is it's about creating like a fertile ground for digital innovation. Mm -hmm. If we, for example, if we bank, banked too hard on a particular implementation, like we integrated trust lines full on or made Circles UBI like first and foremost. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I mean, trust lines has their own app, for example. But what, what that does is that suddenly requires everybody to go through that one app. It becomes very centralized. That one app is now like a gatekeeper thing. It could take extractive revenue. What we're building right now is a much more kind of open platform. People can connect to it in a wide variety of ways. Okay. And and I think we're not banking on exactly how it works. So like the general mechanisms of sharing capabilities transitively mm -hmm. and creating these networks, then leveraging them to, uh, to crowdfund and, and even insure things. Um, I think it's such an open-ended thing. Like it's, it's literally got its own theory in computer science, right? So object capabilities. So what we're really looking for is what ends up being the most scalable way to implement object capabilities uh, on a blockchain. And uh, hopefully we facilitate that being very usable. On July 23rd, it was announced that MetaMask Mobile had made a debut. Rather than just another wallet, MetaMask Mobile is a bridge to the true decentralized web with a dApp-centric browsing experience, intuitive onboarding, and features that sync with your desktop MetaMask accounts. One of the coolest things about the wallet is the UI. It is so easy to use, and the open support for ERC-721s Stellar. You have access to Instapay, HD Wallet, ENS support, payment channels, deep links, and simplified gas controls. And they also built a Web3 browser built in truly is the start of something great. And that's Decentralized MetaMask. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. I had a lot of fun learning more about how MetaMask is trying to solve the future of how we use decentralized applications and decentralized networks. With that, let's get on to the end of the show.
through the crypto is dunsies thank you so much for listening i really appreciate you you know doing episodes like this i really realized that there's just so many different aspects to this crypto space and bitcoin space that it's hard to keep track of and you go look at a project you haven't looked at in a really long time and come to realize that they made some really strong headwinds in the right direction so yeah looking forward to doing future episodes of decentralized look for thriller insights tomorrow by bitcoin save the world see you next time this is the end of the show you have been listening to thriller podcast with car gonzalez remember thriller podcast is not financial advice everything car said likely won't come true it is up to you now go do your own research listen to other